How long does it take to visit a faraway land? To bring a memory back in full color? To leap into the past or the future? With a good dime story, it can happen at the speed of just a few simple words. This is Dime Stories, your chance to go everywhere a story can take you in three minutes or less. Welcome to the Dime Stories podcast. I'm Jennifer Simpson, director of Dime Stories International. And I'm Nicholas Thurkettle, author and regular at Dime Stories Orange County. Every month, writers gather at local Dime Stories chapters and share their stories. Fiction or nonfiction, no guidelines and just one rule. Only three minutes to take us on a journey. The three favorite stories from each event are archived on our website, dimestories.org. And in this podcast, we're putting together some of the best of the best to share with you. I moved to New Mexico a few years ago to attend graduate school. At that first Thanksgiving holiday, my colleagues kept asking, are you going home? I am home, I'd say. If someone asked, where are you from? I joked that I'm from the Navy. As a Navy brat, with parents who were both Navy brats, home was an ever-changing place. It was a Spanish-style house in Alameda, California. It was a post-World War II cottage in Long Beach, and later, a beachside apartment there. It was a three-bedroom house near Mission Bay in San Diego. Once, it was the dark, damp Navy quarters by a swampy bay in Hawaii, and it was a two-story colonial just outside of D.C. Wherever it was, Dad landscaped and put up shelves, and Mom made every house a home. She placed pictures on the walls, hung curtains, and cooked dinners. We ate together. We said grace. Mom died when I was 13, and home became hard to define. And what I've come to is that home can be many things. It can be a place or it can just be a feeling. As we approach these holidays and all the many homes that will be in your plans and in your hearts, we're bringing you stories about home. One of our San Diego Dime Stories authors, Judy Reeves, shows us just how vividly familiar sights can appear to our senses, and also how much pain can plant itself even amidst such beauty. Here she is with Headed Home. The top is down and I'm driving 55 miles an hour on the blue highways through Kansas doing an easy ride all the way to St. Joe Mo, Colorado's in my rear view, mountains rising purple against fields of yellow sunflowers. I'm headed home, what we call that place we were born no matter how long we've been gone, and I've been gone a long time. August is hot and dry, and Kansas is a horizon that goes on forever. It's just weeks before wheat harvest, and the grain is as tall as the wheels on my convertible, dense as the earth it grows from, and waving just like the song says, America, America. The sun glints off the tall silos that stud the fields. June bugs the size of my thumb smack against my windshield and splatter dark juice. Static on the radio. I've heard of tumbleweeds that drift across this flat land for hundreds of miles with nothing to stop them and that sometimes in the winter, snow blows into oblong rollers the size of coffins that trundle across the fields. Aberrations of nature, like tornadoes that hoist cars onto roofs and send a piece of straw straight through a cow's belly. There are signs along these two-lane roads, homemade billboards that stand defiant and angry in the wheat fields. Crude drawings of fetuses inside wombs that are shaped like balloons. Babies with thumbs in their mouths, dead babies hacked apart and bleeding, the red of their blood bright against the dun of the wheat, the delft of the sky. 
Abortion is murder, the signs say. God's revenge is great and righteous. That idyllic sense of America, America, the purple mountains in my rear view, the amber waves on either side of me, all that turns mean in an instant. Kansas is a big state, driving 55 miles per hour through the length of it, and the billboards are as unrelenting as the sun. On either side of the highway, narrow shoulders fall away into ditches, so even though I want to stop, to put up the top on my car, to turn on the A.C., get some relief from the heat, I keep driving. Men with sunburned necks and flinty eyes slow as they pass me in their pickup trucks gaze into my open car, and I imagine them at night in fluorescent-lit barns with their plywood and paint, heading off to the fields in righteous droves, bearing their signs across their shoulders. I'm afraid if I stop to put up my top or to get food or gas in one of the small one-light towns, if they get a good look at me, they'll know what I did in Mexico 40 years ago. They'll surround my car, force me out, lead me away, and lock me in one of those silos that rise in the distance like the fat silver fingers of God. I've driven across the heartland of America, and I know the sights Judy is describing, as well as those billboards, but I haven't felt the fear she confesses to. Great writing can use the familiar to take you into a new experience. Judy Reeves is a writer, teacher, and writing practice provocateur whose books include A Writer's Book of Days, which was named Best Nonfiction by the San Diego Book Awards, Writing Alone, Writing Together, A Creative Writer's Kit, and The Writer's Retreat Kit. Her fiction, nonfiction, and poetry has appeared in the San Diego Reader, The Frozen Moment, A Year in Ink, and other journals and anthologies. Two plays that Judy wrote with a women's writing ensemble were produced by the Fritz Theater, she leads private writing workshops and retreats and teaches at San Diego Writers, Inc., a nonprofit literary organization she co-founded, and at writing conferences internationally. Her latest book is Wild Women, Wild Voices, Writing from Your Authentic Wildness. Learn more at judyreeveswriter.com. Michelle McCormick, a regular host of the Dime Stories Orange County Open Mic, finds herself struck by a powerful feeling of home despite being thousands of miles from anything familiar in her story Swahili Thanksgiving. A wide smile radiates from Mama Ruth's ebony-skinned face. She leans into me. I smell her sweet scent. I swim through human air. This village matriarch leads an undulating procession of Jibana and Mzungu, Kenyan tribal and white women from the U.S. We sing and dance our way through the bush of dense coastal jungle in this place north of Mombasa. Mombasa. I see my tribe ahead, decked out in Abercrombie and Fitch, looking like Meryl Streep and out of Africa. And I wonder how I managed to pull these middle-aged women out of their affluent digs to join this humanitarian safari. We are dancing out of the village to the site of a groundbreaking ceremony for the new community center, four years in the making. Together, we will lay the first bricks. An apparition, Mama Ruth, is here by my side now. She whispers in my ear. I hear a visceral, guttural, Swahili dialect. I am electric, confused. I don't understand, but I'm yielding to her strength. Mama Ruth hooks her arm in mine seductively, firmly. She pulls me to break rank, barking commands. I read the language of her body. So, you want to be a great white hope. You say you want to know more of the Jibana, yes? Then today you will become a mama, a woman. 
I no longer need to hear my language to understand that she's asking me to choose. Am I to be ushered through a primitive rites of passage that involves cutting? Am I signing up at 30 to bypass the best years of my orgasmic peak? <laughs> my eyes now fixed on a brilliant snake flying. No, it must be dropping from a palmetto branch to the waiting earth. I hear myself say, yes, I will. We enter the village and I am soon carried through a traditional rite of passage that ends with a naming ritual. My genitalia are still intact, but my sense of time and reality fall away. During what must be a trance-induced state, I catch, slaughter, boil, pluck, and cook a chicken, much like my grandmother and my great-grandmother preparing our Thanksgiving meal in rural Texas. As if returning home, I share the rich stew in the dark, smoke-filled hut with my Jibana sisters. Finished, we emerge from our feast and encounter the blinding light of day. I am surrounded, transported by song, the women scream, ululate, stroke my back, they move me, they dance me into my new name, Mpenzi, love or loved one. In this dark light, I am aware of time now. Will my absence be noticed? I run back toward the community center. It's raining now. My body's wet. Am I crying? Am I flying? No, I see my feet now running in tennis shoes stained red. The hem of my skirt coated with an earthy mix of mud and blood, the ceremonial knife still in my hand. They will see my wild eyes, and I will simply say, I am Mpenzi, loved one. Michelle shows us what we always idealize the sense of home to be, a place of acceptance where the rituals are joyful ones. Strange that it took slaughtering a chicken to find it, but that's the stuff stories are made of. Michelle McCormick is a columnist for the Laguna Beach Independent, where she spins local tales with a psychological twist and a dose of inspiration in her column Inside Out. Her day job as a psychologist and couples therapist in Newport Beach and Laguna supports her writing. Michelle's personal essay and poetry was published in One Buddha is Not Enough, Thich Nhat Hanh, Parallax Press, January 2011. Her upcoming book, Legacy's Gift, Honoring the Wisdom of the Elders, is set for publication fall 2016. For more information, visit www.legaciesgift.com. For our final story, Jennifer Crone from our Albuquerque meeting uses the concept of home to illustrate a tragic irony about fate in a story that spans the globe and four generations of family called Back in the United States. The scene is one that you're familiar with a hotel in Saigon at the height of the Vietnam War, an American soldier who'd seen too much shit alone in the room, slowly going insane. The soldier catches a glimpse of himself in the mirror or sees a ghost. In the middle of the night, he pulls out his gun and fires at his personal demons. What you don't see is the other room down the hall, an Air Force officer in his skivvies, his helmet on, his piece in his hand as he stares at the door and prays to God that he'll survive. Eventually, the MPs arrive and tell him it's all clear. One of the GIs went crazy. Recounting this story at Thanksgiving, my grandfather gets laughs, describing the ridiculous image of himself stretched out on that humid hotel's floor. What stands out is that moment was the most action he would ever see in his tour. On his first day in Vietnam, he got lost, but some helpful locals helped him find his way. A story more that of an American tourist than a soldier. However, 
When telling this story, there is always one point that he wants to make clear. He put his trust and faith in Jesus. My grandfather speaks similarly of his childhood in Depression-era North Dakota, of when his father contracted TB and they had to move to the sanitarium. The doctors wanted to remove my great-grandfather's lung, but my great-grandmother, who was an ordained minister even if she was never given a congregation, refused. She turned to faith and prayers and the disease disappeared from my great-grandfather's body. My grandfather tells the story not as family history but as testimony. He wants his children and his grandchildren to believe as he does. When he talks about his relatively easy time in Vietnam, he wants us to understand that it was a miracle. However, as I listen to these stories, I can't help but think of my grandmother back in the States, the cells in her ovaries mutating and dividing, tumors metastasizing. My grandfather always ends his story of war with the miracle that the Lord protected him from harm. My mother points out, in private, that the reason she believes her father is alive is that he was called back early to care for his dying wife and three children. The only reason her father is alive this day is that her mother died. Where my grandfather sees God's intervention, I see luck and chance. I don't explain my skepticism because it would be as alien to him as his faith is to me. For him, it's all part of God's mysterious plan, but all I see is chance. Sometimes you get lucky and get an assignment that keeps you out of the shit. And sometimes, regardless of your faith, you're broken in a hell on earth. Sometimes disease disappears overnight, and sometimes even your own body betrays you. Why do we also need stories that don't have happy endings? that show us that bad things can happen to good people. I think at their core, they come from a writer telling a reader, you're not alone. I feel this too. Jennifer Lynn Crone was born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where she lives with her husband. She earned her MFA from the University of New Mexico, and she currently teaches English at Central New Mexico Community College. Jennifer is a member of the Dirt City Writers. She has published work in Prick of the Spindle, In the Garden of the Crow, Yellow Chair Review, Tinderbox Poetry Journal, and Gingerbread Literary Magazine, among others. Dime Stories was founded by novelist Amy Wallen and is now managed by Jennifer Simpson. Dime Stories chapters meet every month in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Orange County, California, and San Diego, California. If you'd like to start a chapter in your town, write us through the contact page of our website, www.dimestories.org where you can also find hundreds of Dime Stories archived, including the ones from this episode. And a special thank you to Scott Holmes, who composes the music we use in all our episodes. Learn more about his work at scottholmesmusic.com. Life is a series of moments, and any of them could be a Dime Story. Get out there and tell yours today, and thanks for listening.